1: Fans, and Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. I'm your host, Mark. Thank you for joining me. Hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls land. It's been a week since we last talked, and I guess since that time, the Bulls have been on a four-game West Coast trip. And unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately, they haven't won any of those games, an 0-4 record on the road. And I guess that's good for the tank, not winning games, but at the same time, it's been a completely uncompetitive road trip specifically the last two games getting destroyed by pretty much 30 points against the Utah Jazz and then losing by 49 to the Golden State Warriors. So typically I would give you a little bit of a breakdown on how those games transpired, how the team performed, how the players performed individually. But given that the team got absolutely destroyed in those last couple of games, it doesn't make a ton of sense to really, I guess, for me to sit here and record a podcast and for you to listen to a podcast talking about those types of games. So instead, I wanted to talk the 2018 NBA draft. So I haven't discussed it at this point on the podcast as yet, but I wanted to give you a bit of a primer as to who the top five picks are likely to be, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and how they will potentially fit or how those players will fit. On the Chicago Bulls playing around the likes of Larry Market and Zach Levine and potentially Chris Dunn as well. So let's talk draft instead of dwelling on these poor, poor showings by the Bulls. And to talk the draft with me, I've got my old friend Morton Jensen on the line, ready to go and to analyze this upcoming draft. So enough babbling for me. Let's rip straight into it. Morton, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me on, Mark. No problem. I'm pretty sure this is the third time you've been on Balls HQ, so you're definitely the most frequent guest that I've had on there. So. Oh, that's an honor. There you go. What an honor.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, <laughs> who needs anything Sounded else I'm very life? excited by that. Yeah, no, I, I am. I mean, I, I, I was lacking words. I still am. It's, I, d- right, I didn't okay, expect I that. I thought you would get like important people on your podcast, but apparently you're just not that successful.
1: Correct. They all reject <laughs> me whenever I... Um, whenever i try to whenever i try to organize it they all reject my my uh, invitation i guess so i was always like uh, who who could i have on so i don't bore my listeners just with my voice every single time every week so i thought i'd just give you a call up and
0: nice like
1: always you always answer yeah, so, because i'm doing nothing
0: yeah. and it's empty in the gutter and i need friends to quote flash yeah i need friends
1: well i mean it's a similar story so we have that bond my friend <laughs> But anyways, look, I wanted to talk draft with you because it's been a pretty dire week for Bulls basketball in terms of wins and losses. And obviously this season isn't really about wins or, well, I was going to say it's not about losses, but it's definitely Mm -hmm. about losses. But I don't really want to spend any time talking about the Bulls this week, particularly their last two games where they got absolutely destroyed by, you know, almost 80 points combined. So I wanted to talk draft. I haven't talked draft yet on this podcast, so I thought we could talk drafts. Particularly the top five guys, because I'm assuming the Bulls will have a pretty high pick, but we can also talk some other guys that we should probably keep an eye on as well. But let's let's focus on the top five guys first, going through their strengths and weaknesses and I guess just talking about them, dissecting their game and also having a look Mm. at how they could potentially fit on this Bulls roster. Um, Obviously, we don't know what the roster will look like next season, but we can take a punt on. How they'll fit with Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and, and even obviously Larry Markinen. So let's jump into it. The first guy I wanted to talk to you about, and I was interested to get your take on this specifically, is Michael Porter Jr. because obviously the news came through last week that he sustained a back injury and he pretty much is out for three to four months, which is essentially the entire college season. Which really does change the landscape of the draft. Firstly, before we, so I guess, sort of dissect what type of player he is, how do you think this will impact his draft stock, at or if at all?
0: Well, that's a good question. I've read somewhere that he was one of the most scouted high school players in the nation. So I believe general managers have a good idea of who he is. So if mm-hmm. that's the case, it's not going to significantly bump him down. He might slip a spot or two, maybe three if everything just goes haywire and someone else just comes out of nowhere. Uh, and we all know that GMs can be seduced by a, a great uh, month in March. So, you know, when March Madness rolls around, if you have a good tournament, you, know, you, you have the Tyrus Thomas example uh, for the Bulls. <laughs> so if someone comes out of left field, that guy's going to get consideration. But I would be... I I don't know if the word shocked is appropriate, but I I would definitely be very, very surprised if he fell out of the top five.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a fair view. And and to your point around, I guess, scouts knowing who he is, NBA teams knowing who he is already, he should be back and, I guess, be available for individual workouts, I would assume. I I probably would be very surprised if he's doing workouts with others.
0: When's the combine? He'll definitely
1: be back uh well, I would imagine it's May or June I'm not a hundred percent sure what the actual the actual date would be but I think it' would be around that period surely um not yeah I'm not too sure on the actual date but he should be back by then he'll be back for individual workouts and like you said, GMs can be mesmerized by our talent pretty quickly and for, and for Porter they already really know who he is but but even further to that this draft is very top heavy with big men. And Porter and Doncic are probably the only two guys up the top of the draft that can really play on that perimeter, so I think that will help him in terms of maintaining his draft stock in the top five. But he could slide, to, I think, down to you know six, seven, or eight. And and if it, that happens, it would be interesting to see like what team would take a take a shot on Porter, because clearly he a he's talented enough to be a top five pick.
0: Yeah, he is uh, extremely explosive. A lot of people compare him to Kevin Durant, which I'm just, you know, the Durant yeah, comparisons are always, they, they always seem to be out there if you're a small forward and you have some length and height to you, right? Yeah, and, you can, and if you can shoot. Yeah, and if you yeah. can shoot. I would actually go a little bit different way. I would, and this is just pure coincidence that it's, uh, it's a Bulls podcast. He he seems to be like a 6'10 version of Sack Levine to me. And that's, but yeah, I want to say yeah, though, going with a caveat though, I've only watched about two and a half games with Porter, so he's like the guy that I've scouted the least, simply because I'm I'm just lacking um, video evidence availability. Uh, but from what I've seen, the way that he shoots the ball, the way that he creates his own shot, there is like a Zach Lavine quality to it and given you know how athletic he is and how he utilizes that there is just that sense of okay he knows how to understand or he understands how to use that spring and how he gets into the lane the same way that sack does but um he's also a a surprisingly good um passer and playmaker not necessarily and when i say playmaker i also mean just for himself like he's 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 able to look at a defense and then just create something out of nothing, which is, for a guy 6'10", is obviously very valuable. Whether that would have translated into college, that's the thing I don't know. So I feel slightly uncertain talking about that skill set because that was against high school competition. And as we know, that's not the best competition in the world. So I would have been intrigued to see what he could have done at Missouri.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's the risk in drafting Porter. Obviously, a back issue isn't something to sneeze about having surgery on your back at any time. But at this point in your career, I think that is a concern in itself. And the fact that we won't get to see him playing against college competition and almost relying on what he did in high school and those individual workouts that I talked about. It does make him a gamble, I guess, for teams to to take a you know a top ten, top five pick on him. So there is that certain gamble. But as you sort of alluded to, he's a guy that I guess I, I can sort of see where you're going through the Zach Levine comparison. He's obviously a very fl- uh, fluid and natural scorer, yeah. very good shooter. Can sc- score from like I guess all three levels on the court, which Zach Levine can do. He's not necessarily, I guess, the the world's best defender. Uh, defender defense is definitely a weakness for Porter at this point and I'm not I'm not convinced that he has the best handles going around either so I guess I can sort of see where you're coming from from that Zach Levine comparison I guess the main difference obviously is that he's he's six foot ten and 215 pounds so he's a legit he could definitely play four in the NBR I'm not sure if he's a four or a a small forward so I think that's something interesting he could probably play both forwards spots pretty adequately but um that's that's another reason I think why he may remain in that top fo- top five because he's that he's that athletic guy that you want on the wings that can play both forward spots, which is obviously what the NBA is trending towards.
0: Yeah, totally agreed. In today's age, you know, we see a lot of guys who are in that height area play both forward position. It's almost like if you're a natural small forward these days, you are going to get minutes at the power forward position. And if you have additional height at the small forward position, you are definitely going to see like half your minutes at the four. So he's probably going to be very interchangeable. And who knows if the defense actually comes around. I could even see him spend some time at center because of his height and athleticism. And maybe if he learns how to stick with people like I just I wouldn't put anything past the new HNPA where players with height and speed can virtually play every position. Um, but he's intriguing. That's the thing. He's very intriguing. I will, however, agree with you on the back issue thing. I'm not sure that, you know, if, if out of any injuries out there, the back injury for me personally concerns me the most because whenever you open the back in surgery, ooh, you don't want to go there. Like every doctor I've spoken to because I have back issues myself. I've just said you don't want to go through that. You just you don't want to risk it. Every time you open up the back, it's a risk. So I'm slightly nervous about that. Hopefully everything is right. Everything went well. He bounces back and becomes great because we all hope that for everyone in this draft. But yeah, there is definitely cause for caution. Whether that's enough for him to jump out of the top five, I don't know. I don't think so because as you alluded to, his gifts are just so special And it comes in such a unique package that we just have to assume that teams would still consider it if they're sitting on a top five pick.
1: Yeah, most definitely. And supply and demand of wings in this top five draft isn't, oh sorry, in the top five of this draft isn't high. And I guess that's what makes him very appealing to a team like the Bulls as well. Obviously, the Bulls have quite a a gaping hole at small forward and, and on the wings in general. Um they'll, they'll be getting back Zach Levine soon, so that may shore things up. But from a Bulls perspective, from a, a a fit perspective, I guess, he's someone that really made a lot of sense for this team as well. So when the news came out that Porter was out for three to four months and the fact that it was a back injury, it was almost a blow to the Bulls as much as it was Porter, which I guess is a bit of a silly statement for me because there's obviously much more of a blow for Porter. But for a team lacking a small forward like the Bulls are. To see someone like mm. Porter, I guess, sustain that back injury was a bit problematic, but how do you think he would fit with the Bulls, assuming he can return to full health?
0: Well, again, two 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 and a half games worth of evidence and <clears throat> <Yep>. highlights, tapes <laughs> accompanied by that. Uh, but from what I've seen, he would be an instant upgrade at the three his playmaking ability, his his athleticism would definitely open up a lot of shots from the outside from Markkinen, so I think those two would really mesh, um, and in, even he would take some pressure off of Chris Dunn as well. Like, Dunn has, has been hot and cold, and he's gone through a pretty ho- good hot streak somewhat recently, but he still turns the ball over a lot, so having a guy on the perimeter who can handle the basketball and make plays for himself might actually limit Dunn's turnover rate a little bit and help him out when things are dire because right now when you, when the, when Dunn is out there and he has to pass the ball to like Denzel Valentine or Paul Sipser, you know, you you don't expect great ball handling. Uh, I did initially for Valentine because of the role he played at Michigan state, but that just hasn't translated.
1: I think what I like about the, I guess the possibility of having Porter as a bull is the fact that the offense really would be, I guess, rebuilt to something that would I guess mirror what Hoiberg always envisioned and uh, particularly at shooting guard small forward and, and power forward with Levine Porter Jr. at small forward and obviously Markinen at power forward that is a lot of shooting capability there and a lot of good scorers that can score in a, a multitude of ways so I'm not too sure how defensively or uh, how that would fare defensively but from an, a sheer offensive perspective that would be quite frightening and if you, you also have, that, I guess, that ability to sort of downsize and put Porter at power forward and maybe mark at center and go a little bit smaller. And just the shooting element from that lineup and combining those three players is really enticing. But like, like we've been talking about, that back, back issue will, I guess, leave us questioning it at least for the next three to four months and probably until, I guess, we get some more information as to how he's progressing. But um, let's move on from Porter Jr. and talk about some of these big men that are in Mm -hmm. play and i want to start with maybe the biggest uh certainly in in terms of wingspan um i'm talking obviously about mohammed Bumba. so he's obviously the big center from texas six foot eleven or basically let's call him seven footer 225 pounds and he has a seven foot nine wingspan Mm -hmm. which is just ridiculous that is a large human being and if he would if he was in the nba that would actually be the biggest wingspan in the nba so he's a huge human yeah, definitely is. projects to be someone who is a i guess a terrific defender potentially defensive player of the year type terrific timing on defense rim protection and has really good coordination what have you seen from bumba this i guess this early and what what are your concerns with him as a prospect that could go top 5
0: well offensive fluidity is one but he's doing something that I find very intriguing. He's taking three-pointers. He's been, been allowed to take three-pointers. He's, ma- he uh, he's made one out of nine so far, so it's not with great results. But he understands that the, the NBA is a new league. And he understands he can't come in and be the new, new Orleans Noel. He has to be something more. He has to be able to contribute offensively in a manner where if you leave him open, he'll punish you. So I really appreciate what Texas is doing with him, giving him that sort of freedom to do what he wants offensively in terms of shooting the long ball. Um, But he's skinny and he needs to fill out his frame to really establish himself on the inside, at least offensively speaking. Defensively and in terms of rebounding, I don't have any problems with him whatsoever. Yeah, sure, he might get pushed around a little bit, but... Look, even Dwight, who is a humongous human being, gets pushed around by DeMarcus Customs once in a while. It just, there is no such solution where you will be the, the alpha-omega big man who can box everyone out. You will get hustled once in a while. But this guy can come into the league next year and average 10 rebounds right off the bat if he gets the minutes and probably two and a half blocks. I mean, he would be one of the league leader's from his rookie season so i have no problems with his with his defense and his rebounding um it's it's solely the offense and if he progresses as a shooter as the year goes on he'll look really really attractive he does already but he'll look even more attractive come draft time that 7'9 wingspan and the fact that he's seven feet seven one i don't know why ESPN has him ranked. at six eleven. I think he's. I think he is taller than that. Um, but yeah, he's one of the most intriguing centers in the draft. And I, I guess if you if you really want to look at faults for him, it's he's a pure center. I you know you you look a lot of at a lot of bigs and they're able to interchange the the four and the five. I don't think Bamba can slide down to the 4. I think he's a full-on 5 no. throughout the yep. course of his career. Like 100% of his minutes should come at center.
1: Oh, 100% and I guess he put the comparison I guess is Rudy Gobert to an to an extent in in the sense that they are the huge humans that have crazy huge wingspans that obviously can change the game defensively and offensively I re, I guess be that real quality role man in pick and roll that can catch lobs can be a low usage player that hopefully can step out at least to the mid range, but hopefully the three point line and can pop some jumpers as well. But yeah, he's definitely one of the most interesting bigs in this draft, probably, probably the biggest interest or the most interesting player, because we, we don't really know what he's, uh, what his ceiling is. I guess he could be anything. He's the spectrum of the type of player he could be is, is quite, in, quite insane because obviously we've had players in the NBA that have come through that have been big, tall, athletic guys with huge wingspans so they can obviously block shots and deter, uh, deter shots at the rim, but they haven't necessarily had enough offensively to become players that you can rely on more than you know 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be something interesting for Bamba to do. And I think my biggest concern with him at the moment is can he even be a big-minute player? And what I mean by that is obviously you alluded to the fact that he can only play the center position. yeah. But also on top of that, being that big of a man and having that sort of a frame, he does have some, I guess, some some uh, concerns around his fitness levels and just his general motor. So I wonder if that will allow him to play enough minutes per game where he can sort of be up in that 35 minutes per game range come playoff time or something like that. So he does have to work on his on his motor. And I think his frame as well would... It's going to be hard to make that sort of a frame when, you, when you're six, let's call him seven yeah. foot with a seven nine wingspan. It's going to be tough to put on muscle on that body, so he's probably always going to be a slender guy, but the defensive potential is ridiculous, and of the big men that are available, in some ways, Bamba may be the best fit with marketing and. do you agree with that?
0: no that's that's actually a good question because i I probably would agree agree with you three years ago. But it because in today's league the center just has to produce more offensively, especially from the outside. Mm-hmm. Now I don't think Bamba is a finished product. So if he gets three point range, then I would agree with you. Or just if he can go out and drain seventeen footers at the very least, and and make that automatic like a Lamarcus Aldridge scenario. Then yes, then I would agree with you. But if he can't, and if he is a Rudy Gobert type player, and don't get me wrong, Rudy Gobert is a strong candidate as the best center in the league. He is terrific. Um I I still would look at Fred's system and I would look at the offensive production needed, and I would I would probably go DeAndre Aiden, who we are gonna talk about a little bit later. But I wouldn't call Bamber a bad fit next to Markkinen by any stretch of the imagination. He would be a good fit. I just think there would be players out there with certain skill sets that would fit him a little bit better. But it's, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I don't think we're at this point yet where um, one should consider moving pieces around to accommodate Markkinen. Markkinen is really great and he's going to have a long career and he's definitely the long mainstay power forward for the Bulls. But I, I think you need to go look at who's the best player and because if you sacrifice talent because of the fit to marketing i think you're going to regret it down the line Uh, and lord knows the bulls have drafted for need uh, in prior seasons so that's a concern but i I wouldn't be surprised if, if bamba ends up being successful regardless of where he ends up like he's got some qualities to him that are really intriguing you talked about putting weight on that frame being difficult i would agree with that but i think it's possible for him to reach a, not quite there, but certainly on the way to that player, like Giannis Antetokounmpo, you've seen he was long, he was very thin, now he's filled out his frame to a capacity that doesn't make him a liability, strength-wise, he's still skinny, but he's strong skinny, if you catch my drift, and... That should be the goal for Bamba. Bamba should look at Giannis and go, okay, the muscle structure that Giannis has—that's the one I need to try to emulate. If he does that, game over. Game over. NBA defenses, or, or sorry, NBA offenses, because he's gonna swat everything.
1: Yeah, I mean for sure, and even Rudy, Rudy Gobert—he's not necessarily a guy that's hulking with full of muscle. He's still a, a, a slender yeah. guy to a degree. He's obviously packed on skinny strong some pounds. Yeah, correct. He's definitely put on some weight since he's entered the league. But I don't think Bumba's gonna be able to sort of shift um, from a two twenty-five guy to a, a two seventy or anything like that. But he could definitely get up towards two forty-five or two fifty and 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 could put some more, I guess, muscle on those shoulders. But he's definitely someone that interests me obviously defensively, but and like and to your point, you are correct that the Bulls should definitely not be considering fit at this point this early in a rebuild specifically around Larry Markkanen they should be taking the best player available, which may prove to be Bamba, but who knows? But I, I guess the, the obvious fit there between the two is that Markkanen really is that shooter that can draw the defenses out. And if I'm a guard working with Markkanen in pick and pop, which is obviously a, a devastating option given his shooting, but then you when you sort of enter the paint and then you've got someone with the wingspan of Mo Bamba <laughs> on the mm. block there sort of trailing and... Being an option to throw a lob, like that's that's pretty damn enticing from an offensive perspective as well. Obviously, we're hoping our Bamba can produce a little bit more offensively than just catching lobs But just from that basic elementary level, just that aspect is really intriguing to me. So he's definitely one that um I guess he like I said before, he's the most interesting big man to me because I, I really don't know how how good or bad he will be in the NBA. So he's certainly someone to keep an eye on and. Uh, We'll talk later on about where we sort of have these guys ranked in terms of a very, very early mock draft, if you will, but um, I'll be interested to get your take on that one. And mock
0: bulls draft specifically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I just mentioned Bumber is probably the most interesting big man in this draft, but I say that um, with a little bit of trepidation (laughs) in the sense that Marvin Bagley as well is is super interesting in terms of what type of player he can be. and. I guess from an athletic perspective, it's all there for Marvin Bagley. He's obviously a six foot eleven, two hundred and thirty pound, thirty four pound forward from Duke. He's a physical freak. He's got an incredible motor and just high energy and mm. just super tenacious player. But I'm still unsure on a lot of things uh, on Bagley. So before I give you my opinion on him, tell me what you. What you've seen from Bagley and what you think about him sort of projecting him from the college game into the NBA pro game.
0: He's a really good um, player to discuss because there are a lot of split opinion about Bagley. Yeah. And and it's it's strange because, you know, the production is undeniable. Like he produces at a very, very high level. But when you watch him play, at least from my perspective, I feel he plays a little bit um, shorter than he is like he, when he's 6'11 and has the wingspan that he does i i'm i kind of expect him to flat out dominate the opposition and you don't get, you don't get that feel watching him play but then when you look at the stat line at the end of the night he has like 20 and 10 so i mean the production is there i maybe it's the assertiveness i'm not sure either way when you look at the production he's right there. He doesn't block a lot of shots, so he's not going to be a, he's not going to be like an imposing shot blocker in the league because if you're not a strong shot blocker at the college level, chances are you are going to be absolutely abysmal in the NBA when it comes to blocking shots. So from that perspective, he's probably going to be one of those guys who defensively will have to assert himself in the team scheme, much like Ben Gordon did back in the day when he, and that's not a big, but that was a guy who had trouble staying in front of guys in isolation, but then Scott Skiles kind of re-coached him, and he made him a very, very effective, you know, team system defender. Um, if Bagley can get into that line of it and be a, a strong defender within the team scheme, then he's absolutely a major plus. And um, But yeah, I'm slightly nervous about what type of player he is. I don't think I have a good idea of who he is as a player quite yet. Um, He does work hard. I'll give him that. He scraps, rebound, he claws and fights. He gets to the free throw line. He rebounds. He takes smart shots. He gets to the free throw line, like I said. He doesn't convert them a whole lot, but... I mean, he seems to be really, really polished in a lot of things that he does, and yet that's not the impression that you get when you watch him play. So, I'm not really sure what to think of Bagley yet. But I do know he's undeniable uh, in the sense that he's a good player. Like you are, go- the, whoever dra- drafts him, even if it's the Bulls, are going to get someone who can produce. The question is to what extent and where does his shortcomings? Um, where are his shortcomings, and, and are they going to be a major? part of his game moving forward yeah
1: he's a, he's an interesting player and he's, he's a conflicting player because he's definitely someone that can amass volume stats mm. super easily because he's someone that's super tenacious on the offensive glass he can get points and rebounds very very quickly so he can get like you said he can he can get 20 and 10 quickly and that's essentially what he's averaging thus far in his his early early collegiate career uh to date but the question marks about him are pretty significant. So he's obviously not necessarily a great three-point shooter. Has never really eclipsed 30% from three anywhere. So that's obviously going to be a concern. Even though he is a power forward, I guess that is a concern for a big man. You obviously want your bigs shooting shooting from the outside these days. And he, even though his stroke doesn't look too bad, obviously he hasn't produced a, a good three-point shot to date. You mentioned his rim protection and his general defense. Uh, defensive abilities. He's clearly athletic enough, and is ha- agile enough enough to move around on the court. But I don't know if he's that natural rim protector that a lot of teams are sort of chasing up front. I also question what position he is. So at the moment he's a power forward. He's I, I guess more suited to being a power forward at this point, given his slender frame. But ideally in the NBA you would transition a guy like Marvin Bagley to center. Right. But as we've sort of spoke about, he's not that natural room protector. He's probably doesn't have that center frame on him just yet so is he a player that can move from power forward to to center and 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 if he does that will be will he be able to sustain that so there's some of the questions I have as well as you know whether he can actually play in the half court given that he's not necessarily a great shooter when when is sort of locked down a little and, and it's not necessarily just about outworking your opponent And running offensive sets how will he be able to perform in the half court? so they're the questions i have about him and they're they're pretty significant i would say
0: i think you're right about that he would be best in an up-tempo system so you're setting you're putting the question mark into whether or not he can play like in nba style half-court offense
1: yeah like to me at least he's not someone that you can just get the ball to when you know the the offense is really dried down it's a low scoring game both teams are potentially ending the game at around 85 90 or something like that it's a really defensive game it's a grind how is this guy going to score in the half court when teams are keeping him off the glass keeping his yeah. activity away from the glass can you get him getting the ball at the elbow and let him create off the bounce or can he step back and take that jump or even you know like we sort of talked about his three-point shooting can he can he be a catch-and-shoot guy? I'm not necessarily sure, but he's a freak athlete, and I think that's what makes him completely undeniable. And like Bamba, to a degree, that's what makes him super interesting.
0: I would agree with that. I think I think that's a valid concern. Um, I just looked up his wingspan. I was kind of surprised. I thought it was 7'4", seven, uh, seven, and I realized he was actually the one who had the low wingspan at 7 feet, so he, that's pr- pretty proportional to his 6'11 height. So that's also gonna limit him in some capacity, at least defensively. Offensively, are we looking at a player you think who are very similar to like a Sean Marion type when you look at the kind of system that he needs to thrive in? Like if you look at Sean Marion and Phoenix running up and down the court, but if you put him in a slow pace system, he's just not gonna be the same player.
1: From an offensive perspective, I certainly see that compare I certainly see that comparison and it's it's one I had in my mind as well. Obviously I think he's sealing his is uh, a little bit higher than Marion, given the fact that he has a six foot eleven frame, whereas Marion was, I guess, closer to that six seven mark. Yeah, so right. He was low. He's definitely a bigger version of Marion. I can, I can certainly see that comparison, and he's, I think, probably at this point, someone that will be more effective on offense, just outworking his opponent rather than trying to, I guess, running plays for that type of player. So I, I certainly see that. I think which a isn't a name. I guess you want to, I guess, attribute to. A top three type pick, but um, obviously, sure Marion was a fantastic player. But you're probably aiming a little bit higher than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, Marion is routinely getting slept on. Just that's a, that's an opinion oh. that I've had for years. He was he was great. Most definitely. Yeah, he was really really great, and he was uh, just he he was so much more fluid than people seem to recall because. He had that funky jump shot, and people were like, "Oh, so he's very mechanical. He thought he can't handle the basketball because his arms are aligned differently." No, they're not. He just had a weird jump shot. That's it. He could handle the basketball. Like if he got a rebound, he would he would be able to just go coast to coast on so many occasions. Like he had a good handle. So, but yeah, um, going back to Backley, that's actually an interesting point that you made that he's better as an offensive you know as an an, an, in a quick system he would be a better offensive player in the quick system i hadn't noticed that but when i think back of the games especially against michigan state and vermont he only played to like 10 minutes against michigan state but you're right like he he does seem to maximize himself when the team is running and he's also he's got grayson allen uh and gary Trent jr next to him who are putting up shots as well and Trevor to as well so when you are in a fast paced system he might just be the beneficiary of that that's a good point so that relates so in in terms of how that relates to the bulls fred wants to play quick the bulls really don't play quick if you look at his numbers yeah. so yeah. that has to be factored in like one thing is what fred wants to do And another thing is what he executes. And so far, the Bulls has not been... They haven't been a a fast-paced team. So if that puts a cap on Bagley's ceiling, then you probably have to put him down on the Bulls' big board.
1: Yeah, and another thing, that I guess that puts him down slightly in relation to the Bulls is the fact that I'm not 100% convinced on his combination or his fit with and is the most ideal of the bigs available so obviously as we sort of alluded to before the Bulls shouldn't be drafting for fit alone they should be taking the best player available and if they happen to be in a position where where Bagley is the best player available then obviously you take him but if it were to be the case that Bagley and Markinen were to be the Bulls front court next season I, I have the same sort of questions about Markinen as I do about Bagley I think Probably both are, I guess, combinations of a four and a five. I know Markinen's obviously playing power forward at the moment, but given the ways the NBA is trending, I mean, we see games at the moment where Giannis uh, is playing center or even LeBron is playing games at center. So does that mean that someone like Markinen is going to spend the rest of his career at power forward? I don't know. He may transition to center, and and obviously that's a concern that we have for Bagley. So how does that combination work? from that perspective, but also from a defensive point of view, a guy like Markinen and Bagley, who can be competent defenders themselves, I don't think they're necessarily going to be poor defenders, but ideally you want to pair them with a big lumbering big that can sort of do that rim protecting stuff. Um, I think both have the ability to be good health defenders, but when you have them both combined together, are they? is there some diminishing returns there? So that's another question that I have about about Bagley, obviously his individual questions, but the how he fits with the Bulls as well, and putting him next to Markin, it would be a super athletic front court, one that could definitely, I guess, space the floor from Markin's perspective, and then on the on the weak side block, you could have someone like Bagley cleaning up the glass, but it could be it could be a really thin front court.
0: I would agree. Um, Bagley to me, let's and let me just rewind back for a second because one thing is the when we're talking about these draft prospects in regards to the bulls one thing is that decision shouldn't be made in terms of uh lori and his position but that's not to say that we shouldn't include some variety of it because it's of course important that when you draft a guy like backley who would play Laurie's position that you take into effect okay who would be the best player of the two going forward like how do you shift those two so yeah, of course you take the fit into consideration. You just you don't don't make it the determining factor. Like if Backley is yeah. like as you said the best guy left on the on the draft board, you take him and you see what you end up with. But if you have a Mo Bamba or a DeAndre Ayton or a Luka Dontage, uh on the board in front of him, then you probably go a different route.
1: Yeah, I agree. All right, I, I agree. And and you mentioned Aiton there, so let's transition yes, from Bagley to... I've been waiting to... for
0: this guy. I thought he was going to be the one we <laughs> talked about before Bagley because you said one of the most fascinating bigs. So I was ready to get my Aiton on, dude.
1: No, look, I, I, I get that. And, and the reason why I guess I haven't put him as my most fascinating big is because I almost know to a degree what he is, if that makes sense. Obviously, we don't know, obviously, how he's going to... Transition to the NBA, or if he will be a success, a successful mm. NBA player. But what he does do, and what he's projecting to do, I don't really have many concerns about the player that DeAndre Ayton is going to be. Whereas Bagley and Bamba, to a degree, are unknowns. Whereas Ayton, he's a seven-foot freak, two hundred and sixty-pound giant from Arizona, and is probably the most physically gifted of the top five. I yes. would say definitely the best athlete of the top five and he's drawing comparisons to to david robinson obviously that's san antonio spurs legend legendary center and i guess from a, a physical standpoint just I can clarify who those...
0: david robinson was
1: well this is a bulls
0: podcast some
1: people may not know who
0: david was. robinson and... was the one guy the bulls actually considered moving mike for back in the day yeah look but not everyone is as old
1: as you and i morton there could be like, all right, I that, that's fair, but let me just let's
0: this. talk to your listeners for a bit. If you're out there and you're going David Robinson, who you need to go Don't back like and like just educate yourself. David Robinson was one of the, the best players of all time. Like, just let's just I never want to hear you again. Clarify who David Robinson was. We can't have that. Come on now. Come on now.
1: Fair enough, but I won't have you lecturing my listeners on my podcast. Remember, this is my podcast now. So you are my guest. So that's true. That's fair. Get get back in line. Yeah. But but fair point. Fair, fair point noted. But um, be. from a physical standpoint, he is yeah. he, I guess very reminiscent of someone like David Robinson. Just that freak athlete. That's just, I guess he's built like an absolute truck. He's huge, but has that ability to move on the court like a guard. He's extremely agile. So. And he has that seven foot six wingspan, so very, very enticing player from a physical standpoint. What do you make of his game outside of that, though?
0: Okay, so there is a lot to talk about, but about DeAndre Ayton, yeah. he's the guy I've been following most closely outside of Luca Um So let's start with the negatives because I want to finish on the positives. The negatives mm-hmm. here are mostly mental. He doesn't yes, really yes. realize yet what he is. He doesn't understand that he's a guy who's seven feet one and chiseled and athletic and big, and he doesn't understand how that can be used he as a weak side help defender, he has a lot of work to do because he he can come over and challenge shots, but he doesn't do it because he's already in his mind thinking well i can't I can't make it. I can't reach that guy in time." Even though he absolutely can, so he stands and watches instead. So it's a question of getting him mentally prepared for games better, simply by making him realize what he can and cannot do out on the court. He, I think he understand He's beginning to understand he could be a difference maker when he's rebounding to basketball. Like he's understanding now that okay, when the ball come, comes off the rim, I'm usually like. Um, a whole arm above everyone else when I'm using my jumps and I'm getting the ball. Now he has to translate that defensively first. Uh, so many times i have have we seen guys, just smaller guys, float shots in over him and finish layups over him where he's just been kind of playing a little bit lower than his height. Like the like same, uh, same concern was with, with Marvin Backley. So he really needs to recognize just how much of an impact he can have and how much of an advantage he has. This is college basketball. Like he's going up against guards who are frequently under six feet and he has to come to the realization at least before the new year that, Oh, I can actually dominate each and every one out here because of my athletic ability and my size and my reach. Um, He has shown elements of doing that. There was block in one of the early games. I don't remember against who, but a, a guard was coming off a pick and taking a, 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 a pull-up jump shot. I was looking for the word there. And he just he ran out and he jumped so high and just got that ball. Like, he swatted it. And I was kind of hoping that that would be a turning point for him, or at least that I would hope that he would start to realize at that point, oh, okay, I can actually go out and I can challenge these shots and I can get my hand on it. But it didn't seem to transfer into different games. Like then he had two games in a row where he had no blocks whatsoever. And he should not be satisfied with a zero block game at all. He's only averaging 1.4 on the year. Like That should probably be the other way around in college. That should be 4.1 because the athleticism and the, the length is there to do it. So it's all mental for him in terms of the weaknesses. And that's interesting. Because if your weakness is all about men- mentality, and you're what I think he's what is he nineteen? I think it's nineteen. Then you have to gauge: can that be fixed? He's so young. Can we do? We have time to make him realize just how good he can be. Do we have time to change that mentality so he can be like the next new thing? And I would argue yes. I I would argue that he is he's young enough that you can change that mentality. Whether or not that mentality is going to make like an instant transformation going into the NBA or not, that's the big question. I think it will take him a couple of years in the NBA to get comfortable. But when he does, good Lord.
1: Uh, like like we sort of discussed, uh, physically is, is undeniable. But that mental aspect is a little bit of a concern. And I guess for us being on the outside, it's tough to know if it's just, him doubting himself to a degree of, oh, I can't get to that ball, or maybe he doesn't necessarily know how to use his body, and because he's had, I guess, the ability to just pretty much, I won't say coast, because he's so physically dominant, he doesn't necessarily have to exert himself to the nth degree like some other players do, is he coasting? Does he know what he can do with his body? Or is it an attitude issue of sorts of, oh, I can't necessarily be bothered making that play. It's it's hard for us on the outside to sort right. of make that call. I would be surprised if it was an attitude issue of, I'm not going to help on that weak side uh, cutting baseline player. I'll just I'll happily stay where I am and I won't try to protect the rim. I, I'd be very surprised if that were the issue. I think to, if I was to take a guess, it's probably more of this guy being I guess he's used to dominating and and not necessarily having to work as hard as what he probably will need to in the NBA against bigger bodies. But I think once he learns that, assuming he can learn that then defensively he will be a plus player. But until that point, even though he can guard in space really well, he's a really good option in guarding the pick and roll. If he's going to be, I guess, timid guarding around the rim, then that's somewhat of a concern. And I guess... In some ways, I wish I could merge Marvin Bagley's intensity and just his general energy with DeAndre Ayton. If you could sort of merge those two aspects of the players, uh, it would be, I mean, we'd be talking about the bona fide number one pick in this draft.
0: Actually, three players. If you could merge DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, and Mo Bamba into one player. Because
1: To a super-duper center. Yeah,
0: exactly. So you have a guy who's 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 got the frame of Aiden, like 7'1", 260, the wingspan of Mo Bamba, 7'9", and the intensity and willingness to play, like Marvin Backley. Oh, Luka Dontich who?
1: Yeah, so he'd basically be like Joel Embiid.
0: <laughs> You're going to make Brian Zaborek very happy with that comment. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, that's that's the type of play he would be. I right. mean, like you, when, when you think about DeAndre not necessarily chasing down or, or really helping on that weak side defensively or protecting the rim, that's something that Joel Embiid does. And, and that's probably something I don't want him to do because every time he goes and chases a block that sort of appears to be outside of his realm, he gets there, but he sort of is flailing, flailing that body around. And obviously, we don't want to see Joel Embiid going down and just yeah. jumping around all over the place. But that's the sort of energy that DeAndre Ayton at the moment doesn't really have from a defensive standpoint. So it'd be interesting to see if he can develop that. But we've talked about him from a defensive point of view, mm. but let's talk offense with DeAndre Ayton. What, what have you seen from him there?
0: I've seen a lot of putbacks, and I've seen a guy who's yep. uh, able to get to the free throw line a ton and actually make shots. I see a guy yep. who is very willing, willing to take threes, and who does need a little bit of range on his jump shot to make that a valid weapon, but something that Mm -hmm. has potential. He had a wonderful sequence a couple of games ago. He was in the post, uh, initially backing his defender down, then turning around and just spotting up like from 10 feet. And that was just one of the cleanest strokes I've seen. Uh, That was just full of confidence. When, he has those moments where he's just in the zone and feels it and has the, the confidence to just race up about everyone and take a jump shot. That's when he can be great because, and, and again, that's where the David Robinson comparison come in. David wasn't a necessarily a strong back-to-the-basket player. Everyone seems to think, oh, the old-school guy. No, he did not play like Shaq. David was a guy who would face up and attack. He played a lot more like Chris Bosch. In terms of when it, Toronto Chris mm, Bosch, yeah. then he did check. Yep. and DeAndre Ayton, he's able to actually mix and match those two things when he's on. So, again, the mentality thing has to come in. He has to realize that he's 7 1, not 6 7. And I really think it's hard for him to understand just the advantage that he has. But on the rare occasions where he's getting a couple buckets in a row and he's kind of feeling himself and he's seeing, oh, okay, I can do this. He goes on a rampage, and he just he does these things where he just, okay, I, I can command double teams. I can uh, get deep into the paint because I'm strong as a bull. And what I really like about him is the fact that he's willing to make the pass that opens up. Like His assist rate isn't high. He's averaging 1.6 assists, but that doesn't, that's not fair representation of what he can do. When he's doubled in the post he immediately surveys the floor and he might not hit the guy who's open immediately, but then he hits the guy, which could be Alonso tree or whatever, who passes the ball, you know, to the corner, to the open guy. So he gets the hockey assist. He seems to be clever. And we're so we're, he's only played 153 minutes on the season. So we still have a lot of season to go, but I have a feeling that aspect of his game is going to grow. And we're going to see more and more of it. Um, And if he becomes this sort of playmaking center, not saying he's Pau Gasol or anything, but if he becomes something just remotely similar, uh, then he's already there at a point where you can argue, is the production worth it, even if he does have mental lapses? Like, is he a guy who can produce so much offensively that we'll live with him not chasing blocks?
1: I mean, we're currently doing that with Karl-Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic to a degree, Mm -hmm. obviously... Oh, Jokic's been Uh, great defensively, though. He has been better, but they're not necessarily renowned for their defense, particularly Karl-Anthony Towns. But their offensive production is that otherworldly that it it doesn't stop them from being a top 15 NBA player or something similar. So, yeah, there's definitely nothing. If for whatever reason, DeAndre Ayton can't prove to be that defensive force that he physically can be given his attributes. That's not going to stop him from being a very, very, very good NBA player. No way.
0: Agreed. Agreed. I am slightly concerned, though, because Arizona has lost three straight, and he does have Alonso Trier on the roster as well, who is a guy we should talk about at a later point, because this dude is good. He is really good. But uh, I'm looking at that team, the Arizona Wildcats, and I'm kind of thinking, should they be 3-3 and right now? Should they? And then you have to question in, is is it because teams have begun figuring out what DeAndre can and cannot do? Because when you see the amount of layups that are giving up when he's not contesting the rim, it's almost like he's sending an evite to everyone in the court saying, you know what, I'm not going to contest. So just get high-percentage shots. And that's the concern. Like, does he play winning basketball? I know that's like a stigma and it's probably a bad question to ask because what is winning basketball, but he does, does he bring the elements that consistently contribute to winning? That's a question. And we don't think it's, we can answer that right now because 153 minutes played.
1: Of course. And it's also a question that I guess was raised with Ben Simmons. And we've seen how that question has been sort of quickly answered thus far mm-hmm. this season. So it's tough to know at this point, like you said, he's, he's very early on in his college career and, and and I guess all these players are only a handful of games into their college career so who who knows and and at college level like is it always the the star players fault or is there something more more of an issue going on in terms of the system they're running as well so we'll we'll, we'll progress or we'll we'll see how that i guess progresses throughout the the season yeah. but let's move on from Aiton to my guy in this draft not not, not just my guy i guess <laughs> a lot of people's a lot of people's guy and, and, and that's obviously Luke Doncic yeah. is who I'm referring yeah. to here. The Slovenian wing, six foot eight, extremely impressive in the Eurobasket mort, which I'm sure you're watching plenty of.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, he's playing at the the, the league that he plays in is the ACB league, the Spanish uh, ACB league. But he's doing well in, in in all regards of it really. The the thing with Doncic, and this is a very positive thing, is he's He's decided to just take over and he's breaking traditional European norms. So let me just get you, uh, describe to you what it's like playing in Europe. You have to sacrifice shots. You have to play like 10, 11 man rotations constantly. You do not get a lot of minutes. It's not uncommon for a, a European star to play under 25 minutes a game. It's pretty common yeah. actually. And it's also not unusual for guys who are considered stars to be averaging about 12 points a game. It's it's just a lower statistical league in that sense. And that's perfectly common. Doncic has decided to say, well, screw that. Um, I'm going on a rampage because he's at, he's played 17 games this year and he's averaging 16.6 points a game in just 26 minutes grabbing 6.2 rebounds, 4.4 assists, and he's doing this while averaging just 1.8 turnovers by the way. He's just decided to go, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to test myself. I am going to get ready for next year's draft and I'm going to just develop myself into this player that I know I can become. And you have to ask the question right now. Is Luka Doncic not just the best prospect in Europe because that's an obvious yes? Is he the best player in Europe right now like overall and there's a case to be made for it. I know there's there, a lot of people will disagree and they'll go on with the legends of Spandolis and all these guys but no, no look at Doncic right now is right there in the conversation. He is doing wonderfully and he is dominating his competition level and he is very close to securing that number 1 draft slot. It should also be noted that he's getting to the free throw line almost five times a game where he's shooting 88%. Again, 26 minutes of playing time. Doncic right now is at another level. Fair and simple. Just He's just doing things that are amazing.
1: And he's doing all those things as an 18 year old, which is even more yes. ridiculous. And I know some people will, I guess, discredit the league that he's doing it in, but it's essentially the second best league in the world. He's playing against grown men already, guys that know how to play basketball. He's not necessarily playing against some poor college teams that are running guys that are undersized. Like DeAndre Ayton isn't necessarily playing against seven-foot beasts every time. Whereas Luka Doncic, again, he's not necessarily playing against seven-footers, but he's playing against quality quality uh opposition and some of them could actually be in the nba themselves so what he's doing at his age in the second best league in the world is is ridiculous and to, to build on what you've said it's it's not necessarily what he's doing but it's how he's doing it as well he's obviously an extremely gifted passer he's essentially a, a pick and roll master yes. at this point he knows how to play all the angles he has the ability to keep his defender behind him and past his hips so that's really going to be important for him as he transitions to the Mm -hmm. NBA. And I think you may agree with me on this, but he's definitely the highest IQ player in this draft as well. So having those sorts of abilities, being that super high IQ player that really knows how to execute in the pick and roll and is a fantastic passer. And if you're a European that sort of possesses those skills, I'm instantly intrigued like a lot of people are. And that's why I have Luka Doncic as number one at mm-hmm. this point. Um, I guess the main concerns with Doncic is his, I guess his athletic ability. He's not necessarily, it's not that he's not athletic, but in terms of, you know, transitioning to the NBA game, he probably would be an average player from an athletical standpoint.
0: Yeah. He, he's 30 year old
1: Paul Pierce. 30 year old Paul, Paul Pierce. That's not, it's not encouraging, I guess, but at the same time, when you, that, high of an IQ player and you have the ability to just know how to play the game of basketball, it's not necessarily something that's going to, it's not going to be a drawback. It's not going to potentially hold you back from being a really, really good NBA player.
0: I mean, when I say 30 year old Paul Pierce, that's not just meant in terms of, you know, his athletic ability It's also in terms of his intelligence level, the way that he can manufacture shots. And just so we're clear 30 year old Paul Pierce he played with Kevin Garnett and uh, Ray Allen and Rashawn Rondo. So his 20 points a game average is somewhat uh, yeah, watered down because the year before that, he averaged 25. I'm not saying that Doncic is the type of guy who can come into the league and average 20 right off the bat. I think he can get there, and I don't think it would be long. Whether or not he's like a natural scorer and he's willing to accept the role of being an aggressive scorer, that's up for debate. I think what he's trying to do with Real Madrid right now is actually become that. I mean, he's really, really aggressive. And I think he saw a lot of like the questions being raised about him. Like, is he just one of those guys who's going to take a back seat and just be sort of a point guard who gets other involved and just take open shots? And he's like, hell no hell no, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to score the basketball. I want to be like a top-tier level player. So, I mean, my expectation of his scoring output has increased since summer to now. I kind of capped him as a guy who might have in a couple seasons of 18, 19 points a game, and he primarily would be like a Mike Conley-esque type player. I'm I'm putting that away, and I'm putting the bar a lot higher. Um, He's going to be... He's gonna be a good scorer now. He's doing everything that 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 would translate. Getting to the line, shooting the three ball, just taking smart shots at the rim, getting into the crowd of guys and manufacture shots that go in. He's an NBA level scorer by next season.
1: I hope so. I hope so. He definitely needs to improve on his three point shot. It's not necessarily bad. It's it's probably average at this point around that thirty-five yeah. to thirty six percent. But we for someone that has some Constraints athletically, you probably want to see that number jump up towards a, uh, 38, 39%. And his his shooting motion doesn't suggest that that should be an issue. So I don't see why he can't improve on his jump right. But another thing that I'm interested to see with Doncic as well is what position will he guard in the NBA? So I think he's probably going to transition more to small forward than shooting guard. So I'm not sure if he can stay with the quicker twos in the NBA. He's probably more suited for... A small forward position and what I mean by that is if the Bulls were to play the Washington Wizards I don't see Luka Doncic matching up against Bradley Beal I think his his matchup would probably be more along the lines of Otto Porter so I I wonder all about his defense and I don't think he's necessarily going to be a bad defender but I don't think he has a ceiling to be anything greater than average and I don't think he's necessarily a player that you can have sort of playing in a switch-heavy defense, particularly when you are got him next to Zach Levine. So an interesting fit for the Bulls as well as to how he would slot in there with Chicago, but the team definitely needs someone that can control the ball in pick and roll. They certainly need someone that can run the offense. And next to Levine and Mark, and having a gifted and an elite passer like like Doncic around there, it is kind of exciting just thinking about what he could do leading that offense with those two guys around him.
0: I would, I mean, I don't care about positions from an offensive perspective. I care about them defensively. And yep. I think you're right that he would be best guarding threes. Offensively, he's just a guard. I mean, he's he's a guy who can handle But You can play him at point guard, you can play him at shooting guard, and you can... You could also slot him at the three, and then have him play with a point guard and Zach Levine, who is able to handle the basketball and make plays for others. Like he'll he'll just fit right in. Like offensively speaking, that should be the least of your concerns with with Dantage in terms of position. It doesn't matter. He's a basketball player. That's and I know that's a cliche, yep. but it's totally true. Uh, you you can slot him in wherever. I mean, uh, look. I'm going to say something that's going to sound ridiculous, but just follow my, my lead here. He can even play small ball four offensively and if you need him to because he's strong. He's a lot stronger than people give him credit for. It's, it seems like a lot of people are trying to connect athleticism with strength, and that's not the case. Like He's strong. He's not athletic, but he's strong. He can set mean screens, and he can pick and pop and all that. I mean, he can go a little bit Draymond at the power forward position the thing is he just has to guard the three consistently guard the small forward guard the slowest player and if you are matched up against a i don't know cleveland cavaliers that has dwayne wade starting at the two then you have him guard dwayne wade because he's 45 years old at this point um that's the thing i mean that's really the only concern offensively i would i would take don put him in on a team and i wouldn't I wouldn't worry about him at all. He would be one of those guys you could just routinely count on offensively. Just yeah, throw you out there, play you thirty-five minutes offensively. I know you'll be good. What I'm worrying about is your defensive uh, intensity. What you what you gonna do defensively? Offensively, I'm just I'm he's there. I don't care. Just throw him out defensively, or, or sorry, offensively. Of course, he's not gonna be Lonzo Ball. He's gonna be good.
1: Of course, of course, I'm I'm convinced he's gonna be a fantastic offensive player defense we will see but I'm completely in love with Doncic at this point for reasons I already mentioned but it's going to take a lot for me to sort of be convinced that he isn't the number one pick and at this point the only guy I think that can really dethrone him from that position for me at least is DeAndre Ayton so let's talk about the five guys that we've discussed now from a I guess where they'll go in the draft so I've worked this back I guess from backwards up mm-hmm. up to Doncic as to what my top five is. So at the moment, I would have Porter right. at five, Bamba at four, Bagley at three, Aiton at two, and Doncic at one. How do you see it sort of shaping out now? Or how do you have it now, rather? And how do you think it will sort of shape out come six months' time?
0: I would switch Bagley and Bamba, and then I agree with you.
1: Uh, look, I think that's fair. To me, there is two tiers, or yeah. maybe even three tiers, depending on how... Porter really jumps back from his injury but at this point I think Doncic and Aiton is sort of interchangeable for that 1-2 spot and then thereafter I think you can have Bagley and Bamba interchangeable at 3 and 4 and maybe Porter can join that group depending on how he recovers from that back injury but that's currently how I'm seeing that top 5 shaping out just now
0: right no I agree with that I agree with that that's 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 the fair top 5 and I mean, there are other people who could enter the frame, but they'll have to do a lot. I mean, Colin Sexton, we haven't talked about him out of Alabama, point guard. This dude is just scoring at will. And I mean, 21 and a half points a game, getting to the line, the whole bunch, shooting 44% from downtown. He is a very, very explosive point guard. So if the Bulls get better when Sac Levine ter- returns and they don't end up with a top five selection, then there are alternatives in this draft that are going to look pretty good. Saxon, as I mentioned, you could argue um, Miles Bridges, who, who is a sophomore, and the Bulls would probably have him high on the draft board because he's not a freshman, because hashtag Bulls. I'm only slightly joking because I know Laurie was a freshman, but... You know the Bulls, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, we
1: we know that very well. They like their uh, yeah. their mature players,
0: right? But there's a guy who's also very intriguing that I just want to touch on because he's also a freshman and he's over a year younger than Bamba, Aiden, Porter. That's Jaron Jackson out of Michigan State. This guy is six ten. He's got a seven four wingspan, and he is. Uh, a power forward who uh, has a lot of potential. I mean, he's he's so young that it's hard for me to sit here and go, oh, he's he has these weaknesses. Like, he fouls a lot. Like, he has these weaknesses going. And, well, you know, it doesn't matter. He's 18. He's 18 years old, and he can shoot the three. He can block shots. He can rebound. He can run the floor. This guy, just off of age alone, being this young is... It's, it's almost like the John Collins situation in Atlanta. Like John Collins was a sophomore, but he was a year younger. So his production was similar to that, or sorry, his age was similar to that of a freshman. And he just owned college basketball for, for uh, Wake Forest. Jaron Jackson, if he comes out, he's going to be not even 19 when drafted. And you will get so much potential for that guy. And I I wouldn't be surprised if a team reaches for him just because of age alone. That gives you one year more worth of potential with NBA training, which we've seen with Ben Simmons, as you alluded to, is worth its weight in gold. So that's a guy who's interesting.
1: I I wanted to talk about the top five prospects, mostly because I'm hoping that the Bulls land themselves a top five prospect. And, I'm trying to speak it into existence that I obviously get someone like Don, Doncic and Aiton, but mm. you never know with the lottery, and this is the this is the game of tanking. Yet, even if you end up with the second or third worst record in the league, and you, you're on, I guess, track to potentially land maybe a top three pick, that could easily become the sixth pick pretty quickly. So, outside of this top five, if the Bulls for whatever reason, let's hope it doesn't happen, but if they do fall out of that top five and are sort of forced into a situation where they are picking outside of that top five and they have the sixth pick, then someone yeah. like Jaron Jackson is very intriguing to me, uh, particularly from a fit perspective. I think once you start falling out of that five slot, maybe then the how you weight fit versus best player available, maybe that changes slightly. And, and someone like Jaron Jackson, he, who may be the best player available at six anyway, but from a fit perspective, he really works well with Larry Markkinen. Um, mm-hmm. You spoke about Miles Bridges. So I think these two Michigan State forwards, and uh, they're going to be probably the the two guys that I'm going to be focusing on outside of that top five, probably most closely. I'm not a huge Colin Sexton fan. I haven't watched a ton of him at this point. Um, and I'm not sure if, this is necessarily the draft to be sort of going for a guard necessarily. I know the Bulls obviously need desperately need some point guard play, but they're the two guys, right. Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges, that I'm most interested in watching outside of this top five.
0: I would probably add Wendell Carter to okay. the list from Duke. He is uh playing behind Backley and uh, he's averaging just twenty six minutes a game he said but averaging fourteen points nine rebounds two and a half blocks he's taking smart shots around the rim i'm I'm digging his game and I think as the season progresses he can actually become a guy who sees his stock uh, rise significantly if he has good workouts, don't be surprised to see him as an on the bubble top five pick
1: yeah i mean and that's the case for a lot of these guys it's just outside of that top five range, in particular with with Porter having that injury and we don't necessarily know his status at this, at this moment. It'll be interesting to see what other players sort of really jump up into that frame. So maybe Kevin Knox from Kentucky, more yeah. of a four than a three in my opinion, but maybe he can sort of slide up into that draft range where he can not, not, not necessarily leapfrog Michael Porter Jr., but I guess they have not, not similar games, but they have similar frames so maybe he becomes more of an option for that three-four hybrid that the teams are looking for. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that six to ten range. And like I said, I'm hoping the Bulls don't have a player or don't have a pick in that range to sort of be forced into the making that decision. But I don't think it's necessarily the end of the world, even if it would potentially be a lost opportunity.
0: So let's talk about the Bulls and the draft picks because before we started recording, I was talking about acquiring another pick at least in the lottery if not the top 10 yeah um this is the year to do it if you are the bulls and you're looking to get guys who could be potential franchise players now is the year to go out and pay bank to get an additional high pick let's assume for a second the most you know optimal situation the bulls win the lottery and they take luka dontage much to the delight of you and me Okay, now you're looking at one of DeAndre Ayton, Michael Porter, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba. If you get another top five pick, that is, um, or actually just top six pick because you already took one guy off the board, you offer next year's draft pick. And even if it means it's unprotected, doesn't matter, you do it. You can't trade sack levine at that point because he is going to be a restricted free agent so you'd have to trade him at the trade deadline and that would be cause for concern because if you trade sack levine for an unprotected first round draft pick which i don't think anyone is offering by the way but just if you could even if you could sack levine is going to be a guy who probably would make that club a little bit better thus lowering the value of the first round draft pick chicago would get in return, but. From my perspective, Levine is open. Like, I'm not in love with him as a mainstay on the Bulls at all. Um, So, but regardless, this is the year to do it. Or this is the season to do it because it's next year. Get another lottery pick, preferably within the top 10, top 7. If you can get Dauntich and a big, that's going to be huge. If you get, like, Dauntich and Bamba, that will be great. If you somehow, some way, see DeAndre Aiden slip a little bit and you walk away with Luka Dantic and DeAndre Aiden and you can combine that with Laurie Markkinen, I mean, that would be a completely ridiculous draft, which would be the first in many, many years for the Bulls.
1: See, when you say stuff like that, I'm used to it. (laughs) Like those complete... I won't use the word I was going to use. Uh, but I, what I'll say is you're very... You, you're much more, I guess, pie in the sky than I am. And and you think outside the box. Absolutely. So, when you when you sort of reference this to me prior to the podcast, I was like, I hadn't even considered it. Because to me, it was just an extreme scenario that I hadn't even thought about. So, I don't necessarily know how to feel about it. But when I hear you talk about it, it's not a surprise to me. But it may be for some of my listeners to sort of hear you pull something like that out of uh, your behind, let's say. Or for my ass, yeah. <laughs> but um, look, if the Bulls can somehow find themselves or can get another top five or ten p- or top 10 pick, then that would be insane. But obviously the cost does become a scenario. I definitely wouldn't trade next year's pick unprotected. I think that would be a bad move. I think you would need to put some sort of protect- protections on it. And like you, I'm not necessarily wedded to the idea of Zach Levine being with the team post this season obviously we need to see how he plays this season how he's looking athletically and and if he can i guess sustain a career and there's no re reoccurrence of any injuries to that knee so i'm not necessarily i guess fixed to the idea that zach levine is going to be with the bulls for the next 10 years but it does seem unlikely that something like that would would, have, would materialize for the bulls
0: tyson chandler okay i know this was i know this was under kraus and that's fair but now is the time to do a Tyson Chandler deal. This Krauss is, is actually a
1: fantastic comparison for you in terms of the way you both think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I, hey, I, I don't disagree. Look, I would, I, would, uh, I would totally go along with that because you have to do something once in a while that is optimistic. And here's the thing. Would you rather have the Bulls just giving away draft picks as they do? than or just actively going for something that they believe in like if that's the case if they shared my opinion like i would rather see the bulls overpay to get something than just give away picks so they can save money for example i would rather see them progressive and overpay for a return than no return at all yeah i mean that's
1: fair i think most people would agree with you in that sense from a general perspective but Trading away the 2019 first round pick, I mm-hmm. think that's that's pretty significant. So you would need to be, you would need to be pretty confident that you are landing a top pick to go along with that. Because if you're giving up a player like a top five pick in that 2019 draft, obviously like mm-hmm. someone coming, if you were able to draft a Luka Doncic at number one, he would improve your ball club somewhat. But you would still expect the Bulls to be a bad team the year after. So it's essentially do you really, though.
0: Do I you do really? expect that. Let's let's assume, all right, all right. So let's just play this out because I agree with you that you don't do this deal if you don't know where you're laying on, But let's say the Bulls win the lottery. We agree that's Dantich. I that's my view. So Dantich comes in. You have marking and entering year two. Now keep in mind, Dantich is not going to have a a long learning curve. Like you, you alluded to this earlier. He's playing against grown-ass men and has been for years. So his transition to the NBA is going to get, is going to be much more uh, natural than for a lot of other guys who were just sitting pine like Dragon Bender in Europe. Like Luca is out there playing. He's, that transition is not going to be significant. Then you have Chris Dunn, who's finally showing some kinds of life You'll also have cap space that you know the Bulls are gonna to use to some capacity this summer because they have to re upset Levine. So they are gonna hold his cap hold, and they have to spend some money on a guy, because otherwise it would just be wasting cap space to extend Levine. So you'll get Luka Doncic in, and like just just for the sake of the argument, you get like a DeAndre. Aiden or a Mo Mo Bamba, whatever you get that one, one of those guys in as well by doing a trade for the next next year's pick, you get a guy in free agency. You have Levine who's healthy and you know has comes off a whole training camp in 2019. That team could be drastically improved, drastically.
1: I mean, they would be if they had two top five picks. But in the scenario I'm sort of projecting is that they don't have. They've only running with that. One top five pick, and then thinking about the draft in 2019 and having another top five type player joining in that year, I think that would be the type of player that you would be giving up. Look, it's an interesting perspective that you've you've raised. Like I said, it wasn't one that I've considered. If it's a move you're going to execute like that, you need to be pretty pretty confident that it's going to work. And I don't know if I trade Zach Levine and a non first round pick for Mo Bomber. Personally. No, but
0: that's the thing. You can't. Like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade a unprotected pick with Zach Levine. I, that I wouldn't do. If Zach Levine would, and and he's not tradable at that point, like, I would. So here's the thinking. I would only go into this line of thinking after I know where the Bulls land in the lottery. When they know, then they can't trade Levine. Like the, he, they can only trade Levine up to the uh the trade deadline in in early February. So you, you can only trade Levine for an unknown commodity in terms of in terms of a pick. Like, you can trade for a pick, but you have no idea where it lands. If by some chance you, which you can't, but like, let's just play along with the thought. If you could trade Zach Levine and a future first rounder for a top five pick in, this, in, the, in the upcoming draft, I wouldn't do that. That's too much. I'm not giving up Levine and an unprotected first rounder for a top five pick. I agree with that. That's not where I'm at. Um I'm saying that I would just give up future considerations in terms of 2019 pick, whatever, to get DeAndre Aiden or Mo Bamba. Preferably DeAndre Aiden. Like that's the guy I have. I mean, I would I would probably put some serious protection on it if he's gone off the board. Because I, I want Mo Bamba and I wouldn't mind Marvin Backley. I wouldn't go out of you know my way to get him. But if DeAndre Aiden is somehow available. And it means I'm giving up my 2019 draft pick, even if it's unprotected. Hell yeah, I'd do it because I would make the argument that DeAndre Ayton could very, very possibly be a lot better than the top pick in 2019. And if the Bulls are improved and they end up with, you know, the eighth or ninth worst record and someone gets the eighth or ninth or 10th pick, then it's a trade off that obviously the Bulls will win but it just means they have to be progressive for a change.
1: Yeah, if that scenario presented itself, they definitely win that. But in order to get Don Cinch and Aiden, obviously they'd have to get the first and second pick in the draft. And I don't think Maybe. any team's going to... I Maybe. think it's, pr- it's pretty clear at this point. Uh, they would need at least two of the top three picks. Yeah, see, I think that, we... that we
0: agree on. I, I don't think it's a log that Aiden is two, necessarily.
1: I would be very surprised if he's not top two.
0: Yeah, I, I would be surprised. I don't think it's a log like we like we talked about. The NCAA tournament has a weird way of turning very competent GMs into babbling buffoons.
1: I agree in general, but I don't think that's going to be the case with Deandre. Ayton. Uh if for whatever reason Arizona don't make don't make the NCAA NCAA tournament, I think mm. Ben Simmons has sort of taught us enough to say, well, is that necessarily a red flag? you know, Simmons went through that. I guess people were questioning that with him. But given his success, I think that's going to be used as a counter to say, well, look at Simmons. He didn't get to the NCAA tournament. He was projected to be this loser who doesn't really impact winning. And I think that will almost be a favorable perspective for DeAndre Ayton, if for whatever reason, Arizona don't have a successful season. So I, I would be very surprised if he falls out of that top two to three range. So... To your point around this this high thinking that you have, they would need to <laughs> they, the Bulls would need to have a two top three picks, and I don't see right. them really having the ability to acquire another one. So that's me nicely shooting down your optimism with my pessimism.
0: Well, <laughs> wouldn't they though? Would if they if they won number one, and they let's say Atlanta won number two, and they offered Atlanta the 19 pick with no protection on it isn't that pretty valuable
1: no if if i'm atlanta a team that doesn't have a franchise player yeah a team that probably can't withstand rebuilding it to the same length of a team like a big market team like the bulls could i'm not giving up say pick two for an unprotected pick in 2019 that could potentially be worse and that's than pick fair. two yeah.
0: So what would you, like what, if you're at let's just look at it from the different side of the the fence here. What would you ask for? If if the key component was the 2019 pick, then what would you ask for additionally for waiting a year?
1: You would ask for Larry Markinen as a minimum. You would ask yeah. for an unprotected pick in 2019 and maybe some other concession of sorts.
0: Yeah, okay. So where do you go down on the list to make the, the 2019 unprotected uh affair swap so to speak five uh, from an atlanta point of view or- no ne- no not necessarily to atlanta but even though i know they are in a spe- you know a special spot there but like what's the value if you were shopping the 2019 pick and you were making it uh unprotected you were willing to give up on it unprotected like if you're in, do you think that if you have a top three pick, if you're, you know, regardless if it's Atlanta or Dallas or whatever, like, do you give up a top three or top five pick? Let's just say with top five instead. Do you give up a top five pick now to maybe get a a pick later down the road? Now, I, I don't think they'll it'll be number one and many G- GMs might be agreeing with me. They might think, oh, if the Bulls get two, uh top five guys then they're going to be drastically improved and that pig is going to be lowered in value but where do you think you can get away with it
1: look realistically i don't think you can get away with it and the reason for that is if you think about the teams at the top of the draft they need that star at that star player and at the top of the draft there are a lot of big men that can be really good players and a team like atlanta needs a center a team like dallas needs a center Even the Kings, they they could do with the center. Even though they have 700 of them on their roster, they they don't have necessarily an all-star type caliber center on that roster. So I think those teams wouldn't run the risk of giving up their 2018 draft pick that could land them a DeAndre Ayton or a Marvin Bagley for the risk of potentially pulling something out nicely in 2019.
0: So what you're saying essentially is that the Bulls would need to have had a vast ch- treasure chest of assets to really make it a strong play. And they don't have that currently, of course, but that, that would have been the requirement because obviously what I'm alluding to here is it would have been kind of nice to be able to offer like someone of Jordan Bell caliber to Sweden deals. It would have been nice to have someone who could have been drafted with the 16th pick in last year's draft or in yeah in the draft this summer to offer a sweetener catch my drift here
1: i catch your drift and we're definitely not going down that rabbit hole (laughs) because we've been going for an hour and a half and i don't want to i don't want to make this podcast a a three-hour epic movie type type style podcast so I definitely catch what you are you are hinting at, but mm-hmm. um, I will not be taking that bait. So, <laughs> but um, I, I definitely see what you're saying more. But um, look, I've let you have this 10-minute tangent. Uh, I feel like I always have to let you have this, you know, come in with this crazy idea, which you generally have. And I entertain <laughs> it because I like you, but yeah, you, you definitely have these far-fetched ideas that I never think about, which I do appreciate, but... um yeah, we're definitely not going down that that rabbit hole of that last point you raised. Right. So let's All let's right. wrap it up here anyway because we've talked, like I Poor said, for hour. pretty much an hour and a half on this draft. Obviously, there's going to be a lot, I, I get a lot at stake for the Bulls coming up, but there's still a lot of college basketball to be played, and we're, we're pretty much just at the mm. start of the season. So we'll see how each of these players sort of track throughout the year, and obviously, we don't know what what type type of pick the Bulls will have and. Whilst I'm sort of keeping an eye on that top five range, hopefully the Bulls actually land themselves at top five picks. So maybe as we sort of progress throughout the year, we can uh, get you back on for I guess a repositioning of how we're sort of or how the draft is looking at that point, as well as maybe you can come with come back to the podcast with another crazy idea. How do you how do you like that?
0: I mean, I always like to spread my crazy ideas. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, I. Partial credit for my Donovan Mitchell Roy take. Just I'm gonna give myself that one because he's doing well now. He had a rough start. He's doing very well. He's not gonna win rookie of the year, but hey, partial credit, I'll take it. Before we go, I just I have one final question, and that's for you here, in regards to DeAndre Aiden. Okay. If the if the Bulls win the lottery and they take Aiden over Dauntage, would that upset you? Or would you still be Or are you so intrigued with Aiden as well that you would kind of look at it and go, you know what, I didn't like it. I don't like this, but I also am very, very intrigued.
1: Pretty much my position on this is so long as the Bulls are taking the best player available and they're Mm -hmm. able to justify to me why they think that player is the best player available, then I'll be happy. If that's Aiden, if that's Doncic, if that's Bagley, whoever that may be, if the pick they make is logical and makes sense to me, irrespective if that player comes out and I guess 10 10 years from now is a great player or is a bust. So long as that pick that they make now or in I guess in June makes logical sense, I I, I can get behind that pick even if it's not Doncic. Even though I'm a Doncic guy and I'll take him number one, if the Bulls take Aiton at number one and they think he's the best player available and they can give me the fan... I guess a sound understanding as to why they made that pick, then I'll be comfortable with
0: it. Miles Bridges, then? That's going to be tougher to sell. Because the argument is we need a three.
1: Yeah, okay. that's, that's You can't sell that to me, boy.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: it's if, you, if you've got the number one pick, it's Doncic or it's Aiton. That's pretty much where I'm at. So, if for whatever reason the Bulls take Bagley, I would be a little bit concerned with that. But if they took Miles Bridges, then... Uh, yeah, that's going to be a problem, but um I don't hey, think they, we'll get to that point.
0: Yeah, they did. Uh, hey, I mean, he, we need a 3. That's that's at least an explanation.
1: You said we then, and I definitely No, no, no. I was speaking say,
0: I was speaking as Gar Foreman here.
1: Ah, uh, I see. I thought you were coming back to the Bulls. Oh no, Bulls no. fandom side of things.
0: No, 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 no. I've I've been enjoying my life away, Mark. Trust me. I I still I've actually found peace in all of this because I still watch the ball. I love Mark Laurie Markkinen, so I'm enjoying like the whole rebuilding ideology because I love team building. So this is like a great mental exercise for me. But in terms of rooting for the team, what that's over with i don't i don't care about results i'm just i'm i will return as a bulls fan the day that guard foreman and john Paxson are out of there and fred hoiberg has been replaced by i don't know a pack of cigarettes i don't care i i don't care just when that whole thing has blown up then i'll return nice and quiet and i'll i'll smile and i'll support it and by the way sam Hinkie hashtag, hashtag sam hinky for 2018 but no no i'm just following along as sort of an experiment now with in terms of team building which i think is always so fun when teams blow it up it's fun
1: it is fun and uh you will be definitely waiting a long time if that's what it's gonna take you to get back on the bull's wagon bandwagon mm-hmm. so um yeah you'll be you'll be waiting a long time unfortunately my friend but look like i said let's wrap this thing up yeah appreciate you coming on and talking draft with me, it was, it was quite fun. And obviously, every time we talk is always fun. But particularly, like you said, when it comes from a team-building perspective and not necessarily knowing, I guess, a ton about these players right now. And we're, we're sort of projecting it's always fun having these conversations. So thank you for joining me. Where, where can people follow you online?
0: They can follow me on Twitter at MSJNBA. And I am the co-host of the NPA podcast, along with Brian Teporek. Uh Unfortunately, our third co-host, Sarah Chilea, had to uh, leave the podcast for personal reasons in terms of her being immensely smarter than both of us. we uh, <laughs> She had an opportunity for, for a job that she couldn't turn down, which we, of course, were were fully understanding of. Um so and I can definitely just...
1: vouch for the fact that she's smarter than both of you
0: guys. Oh yeah. Oh no. That's not. Yeah. I mean, look. That's not a secret at all. She she's worlds ahead. We were lucky to have her. I'm expecting our downloads to just drop like a rock now that she's gone. We 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 may have to do something pretty soon and invite guests on and whatnot because, yeah, it's it's bad. It's it's not. That's not good. That's not good. When you lose a superstar like that, you know, we're the bulls right now. It's not good.
1: Well, like you turning up on my show and, and sort of being that, I guess, that <laughs> the last call I make when everyone else rejects me. Um, <laughs> if for whatever reason you need a guest on your podcast, uh, your lonely podcast, that is now my I guess, now. follow them on t- on twitter as well so make sure you do that follow me at mk hoops and we'll be back next week
0: i'm amira rose davis historian and co-host of the sports podcast burn it all down and now i'm hosting the new season of american prodigy all about black girls and gymnastics for the last 40 years black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way now they tell their stories You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.